When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. I am continuing my conversations with different people about what we're living through with the coronavirus. I have some great people today, starting with Rio Jardineri, a survivor for, I don't know what else to call you, a patient, a survivor. And again, Lynn Morris, we've had on before, who is the uh, clinical director from Didi Hirsch Suicide Prevention and Mental Health. Uh, organization of which I am a board member, and of course Sabrina, as always, a Rhea. Like, w- what happened? Tell me, tell me the story because I've only gotten bits and pieces of it. That first of all, how did you get exposed? Well, you know, you never know that. I mean, I travel uh, quite a bit for business, and um, I was in LA, I was in New York, I was in Tampa, I was back in Miami. Um, from the timeline, uh, best guess would be probably New York City at the uh, International Hotel and Restaurant Show. Wow. So you come home to Miami, and what were your first symptoms? Well, you know, after I got uh, done with my business, uh, dropped some folks off at the airport, and um, when I was driving home, I just really felt wiped out all of a sudden. And that was pretty odd, but I've been off three weeks of travel, so, you know, Maybe it happens. Uh, so I went home, took a nap about 3.30 in the afternoon, woke up about 3 o'clock in the morning. Wow. Uh, which is like, I just don't sleep that long. I'm a five-hour night pretty much every night. Um, and when I woke up, I just had this feeling. I just, this headache and a fever. I could tell I had a fever. And I told my wife, and so she checked, and sure enough, I was 101 degrees. Um and it just kind of progressed over the next four days. I, I take Tylenol, you know, I was eating vitamin C. I was trying to, you know, knock it out, whatever it was. Um, it just wasn't budging. So about three days in, we started calling to doctors and urgent cares and hospitals. But no one had a test. No one had anything to do for you other than say, hey, please don't come here. And you get it, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't want, I've got I don't a go fever, and I feel like my head's gonna explode. But don't come here, right? You know, that was kind of the message. And you know, they said, please just understand, we don't have the, uh, we're not prepared for this. We don't have anything to offer, and we don't want to get the other patients sick. Uh, so we respected that. About the fifth day in, uh, we got a message that uh, one of the hospitals nearby had the testing kits. Now, how are so you feeling just, at this point? I mean. Just oh, I'm, awful. I'm beat up. I mean, not five days of fever at that uh, that point. A uh, headache that just doesn't go away. I mean, it wasn't like super intense like a migraine, but it was always there. Um, so, you know, it was beating me pretty good. Um, Were you having respiratory like crazy. issues? No, you having- not really at that, not quite at that point. You know, maybe just a little bit, but nothing of record. Um, so, 
we went and they had the tent outside the hospital there by the ER. Um, as I was walking up, um, they noticed how bad I was sweating and I guess I was flushed out. I, I was, I, I don't really know what happened. My wife was behind me. She said I about passed out in the front and uh, they took me in the ER. Um, I think immediately they realized what it was. Uh, ultimately, it got diagnosed as uh, pneumonia and COVID-19. So uh, breathing started to become more difficult as days go on. Um, they did the test for the corona, which, like I said, I think it was probably two or three days later, was confirmed. Um, and then as I'm there, you know, you, you feel when you're breathing restricted. You know how you should normally feel when you're nowhere near and right. it just won't go away. This fever won't go away. Uh, nothing they give me will knock the fever out. Um, we got close a few times and probably 99, um, but just quite wouldn't leave. And the headache wasn't going anywhere. Uh, pain in my back below my shoulder blade was so intense that it just felt like someone just kept punching you and bruised the whole area. And that was from um, the, 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 probably the pneumonia. pneumonia. Right. Um, so ultimately... Um, you know, I just started calling around, talking to some friends and family uh, about what was going on and how I felt. And I quite honestly didn't feel like I was going to make it to the next morning. You know, now what what made you, I heard that you really thought you were going to die and that you yeah. said goodbye to your family and posted a goodbye on Facebook. Now you weren't on a respirator, but you felt that sick that you're like, I'm they might have to put me on well, a respirator. I, yeah, I, no, at that point, die. I was on a respirator. I just, they had, uh, at that point, I even didn't even have the oxygen at that point. I was just really, you know, like I said, you could feel it. And I was feeling absolutely crummy, uh, you know, and some told me that, you know, you better say your goodbyes. I mean, I did that. And yeah, I didn't post anything on Facebook. I oh, that's a, that was a rumor. Yeah, no, no, I just, I had a friend that I called to say goodbye to that just wouldn't take it. He said, do you want to hear it? And he reached out to about two or 300 of our friends and sent messages out. And, uh, one of the people who responded was another friend of mine for 43 years. And he said he, I guess he had watched the Laura Ingram show and had this name of this medicine. Um, so I asked the nurse who had to be in the room. High, was it, it's hydroxychloroquine. And uh, when I asked for it, the nurse said that she would talk to the doctor, which she did. Uh, doctor came in and said it wasn't something he could prescribe, but he did get a hold of an infectious disease doctor. And after talking, that doctor called in on 5.30 on a Friday, which was incredible um, that he did. And when he did, we had a conversation. I mean, he was very to the point, very, you know, ethical and told me, hey, look, this is you know, something you may not want to take. There's no studies. There's nothing behind it saying this is going to work for you. We don't know if it could harm you. Um, but we do use this for lupus. We use it for rheumatoid arthritis. And um, obviously, all the soldiers going over to uh, Vietnam, they took it before they went. Anybody going to a malaria-ridden country. So it wasn't an unsafe product. It was just off use, if you will. Right. Did you have to sign away your life to take this... Uh Drag off no, I mean, you know, I, I, I totally accepted responsibility. Absolutely. You know, so, I mean, there was no time for signing paperwork. And plus, the gear they have to put on just to come inside the room is crazy. And I feel for them, man. They, those nurses have a tough job and the doctors. Did your wife have to gear up? No, no. She, they weren't even allowed her in the, in the hospital, period. I thought she said so, she, so she wasn't by your side. No, no, no. I was by oh, myself. Geez. 
Wow. But she was with him that, up to his, up his, to his point. I correct. Up to, up to the ER because we were just planning on walking through the tent to get our testing and then go home and wait for the results. Right. So but I had they, no idea anybody was going to take me in. So they gave you the drug. It did. And, and um, you know, that night I had a couple little episodes. My heart was felt like it was beating out of my chest. Um, that was determined that that was just progression from the virus and possibly some anxiety, obviously. Um, I don't know. Uh, but it happened uh, twice at night. And they came in. And the last time it happened, my breathing was really shallow, put me on oxygen. And then, uh, you know, they gave me a bunch of Benadryl and something else to help get me to go to sleep because that's about 11 o'clock at night. I had enough. Um, and then it's weird. I woke up at 4.45 in the morning looking right at the clock in front of me. I was like, wow, something's different here. I can breathe. And then I realized I didn't have a fever anymore. Wow. That's the first time in nine days I didn't have a fever. That was crazy. Um, so you know it instantly. I still had the headache, um, but I was feeling great. Um, so I called the nurse. They came in, checked all my vitals, and sure enough, no fever. Everything was pretty much going back to normal. Um, so that took a, that took obviously a few days, um, and then the uh, but the headache eventually went away and. Uh, today I feel great. None of the side effects people talk about. None. No more headache. Nothing. No, no, nothing. Wow, Lynn. How? What? I mean, to hear this story is incredible. What is the emotional toll that is is happening for these people who are being separated from their families and being that sick? It's intense right now. Um, you know, at DD Hirsch Mental Health Services, we have two lines that we're operating right now, our National Suicide Prevention Lifeline that's 24-7, and also our National Disaster Distress Helpline that is 24-7. And we are hearing from a lot of people who are very fearful and anxious about what's going on in the world right now. And the longer this goes on and the more intense it gets, the more hopeless and helpless people are feeling. And you know, that will place people at a higher risk for depression, substance use, and other mental health issues. So we want to make sure people know that those two resources are out there for them to call. Um, we have seen since from February to March, we've seen a 75% increase of calls related to COVID-19 on our national disaster distress hotline. We are, we're not seeing a huge increase yet in our national suicide prevention lifeline, but we know it's coming. Everybody's kind of dealing with the basic needs and really understanding all of this, right? Dealing with their basic needs and really understanding what's going on with all of this right now. But we know based on prior times where the economy has been bad for back in 2008, that it takes a couple of weeks to a few months, and then we're going to get slammed with calls on our National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, because the reality of this new world will have set in, and all the losses, whether it's human life or economic, will be setting in for people, too, to really deal with moving forward. Um, so we fear anxiety, stress, concern about getting the virus, and a lot of concern about 
living with people who they could infect if they're health compromised, elderly parents and such. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty emotional time for people. It's a new reality for a lot of people being separated, um, isolated from others. So we're trying to really encourage people to stay connected through FaceTime, through video conferencing, you know, and connecting with their loved ones in that way right now, because it's, it, this is the time when you need people. And when you hear Rio hearing your story about being alone in the hospital, which is tragic, but necessary, unfortunately, it, it, this virus, but then the feelings that not only you have, but your family members have of not being able to be there for their loved ones, you know, in those critical times, or thankfully you survived others who have it, you know, dealing with the grief after that of not being able to say their goodbyes, you know, in the proper way. So there's a lot, lot going on right now that we're hearing on our crisis lines. Rio, no, did, did your, did your wife experience a lot of obviously fear, but anxiety and what was her experience like waiting to hear? Um, you know, we stayed in touch uh, regular, um, but obviously, you know, uh, no one wants to think of having to finish their life out without their life partner. And, you know, it's a it's a tough time. I mean, that's it's hard to face. We we've, we've dealt with unfortunately our share of loss over the last few years, and um, you know, to me, it was devastating. You know, thinking of the possibility of it. You know, I'm not ready. I got too many things left to do. Right. I mean, yeah. I know just as someone who, knock on wood, so far has been clear, I find myself having these waves of anxiety and flat out fear. Where are you seeing, like you're saying, you're seeing it on the, on the disaster hotline. How should people be, what are the, what's the tips for like dealing with our fear? Yeah. So I think one, talking about it. So making sure that you are reaching out for help, that you're staying connected to people through video conferencing and really making sure that you're talking about it. Number one, um, number two, reduce the amount of news that you're watching because that is just creating more fear and anxiety and stress in people. And trying to make sure as much as possible, I think we're all impacted by this right now, but making sure as much as possible that you are eating healthy, getting exercise, getting sleep, the things that are so important so that we can continue to, you know, deal with what's going on in the world. Um, and I think, you know, really making sure people are limiting alcohol right now, which can com compromise your immune system. Making Damn. I know, <laughs> I know, but <laughs> Rio's like going, yeah, me too. <laughs> doing something meaningful. So, you know, giving back, we know giving back helps people feel like they are more in control of the situation right now. Everything is out of control. So feeling, getting some sense of control back, whatever that is for you. So that might be doing an act of kindness for someone, maybe buying a gift card to a grocery store for somebody who's financially compromised right now, offering to run an errand for your elderly neighbor or, you know, something of that sort. So doing something where you're feeling productive and giving back will increase your sense of hope and increase your productivity, which will ultimately improve your mental health through this situation. Dr. Eric Snyder is joining us again. He is the director of emergency medicine at Providence Cedar sinai Hospital in Tarzana. Eric, what is... What's going on? What are you seeing? Is it, it are there more people? Are there less people? Uh, what's what's the update since we last spoke to you? So it's still, you know, we still anticipate um, 
an increased volume of patients, sick patients in particular, like we've seen out in Seattle and New York and Louisiana, we haven't seen it yet. Um, every day that we don't see that surge is an opportunity to us, for us to prepare. And so we spent, uh, you know, 12 hours a day, whether in meetings or I'm going through the hospital, um, you know, preparing mock intubations, mock codes, disaster planning now. And I just came from our disaster planning um, for setting up tents, trying to keep patients with coronavirus out of the hospital that don't need the hospital and therefore trying to reduce infections. Um, importantly, the healthcare workers. And it's not a selfish attempt. It's that if we, if we have a sick healthcare worker, they then have to be quarantined for two weeks and that reduces our ability to care for our community. And so a big priority right now is keeping my staff safe and uh, making sure that they can be there when we need them uh, to be able to take care of my uh, of our community. I had heard on one of the news programs that a lot of the states are allowing retired doctors and retired nurses come in and volunteer and help, even though maybe their credentials or their license isn't active. Are you, have you, is that happening where you are? Um, so we have reached out to other hospital staff um, for ability to care for people. However, when you looked at when you look at the retired medical staff, a lot of them are in high risk categories. So they're retired typically for age. And so we don't want to bring in people that could potentially have complications from coronavirus infection. Um, and so it is a difficult pool to pull from. Um, again, our number one priority is healthcare worker safety, because without them, we can't provide any care to anybody. Um, and then, of course, taking care of our community. And so while it's a good thought, um, the pool of candidates is extremely low. Um, I'm not too concerned about our ability to provide care. We have great hospital staff, great nurses, um, and great leadership to be able to care for those that come in. What programs are being implemented for the healthcare providers? Because I've seen, um, you know, some of the coverage and this is very, very stressful for, you know, the, the first responders, healthcare workers, uh, grocery clerks. It's very, 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 very stressful for them right now. What programs are being implemented for them? Where is their help? So that's a great question. And it's something that we don't talk about a lot in emergency medicine and trauma. Um, you know, we have such a tight knit family at Tarzana where we, where we turn to each other in times of need and times of crisis. And we've all been through so much already outside of COVID, whether it's seeing, you know, children dying, parents dying, we've all been been there. I'm more concerned about the people that aren't used to what we see in the emergency department. Like you mentioned, the grocers, um, the delivery guys, the, the post office, the people that continue to work that are seeing everybody isolated. And, you know, their well-being is, is inc incredibly important to all of us. Um, there isn't something in particular that's been in place. I think we're going to have to have something in place after we're done with this season, certainly for people to turn to for ongoing wellness. But for now, we turn to each other. Dr. Eric, meet Lynn. Lynn, meet Dr. Eric. <laughs> I feel like I'm doing a mental health match. Uh, Dr. Eric, you, uh, you know, we've been talking about Rio's story and about how it was five days before he could even get tested. And then the different symptoms and pneumonia and then, you know, being a part of, of trying the, uh, uh, what, how do we say it again? Hot, I keep Hydroxychloroquine. You're good at that. Trying that. What have you been <laughs> seeing any of, yeah, you should, 
you should have that tattooed on you somewhere with a big <laughs> heart kidding. around it. Um, <laughs> are you guys trying that? Have you heard any results? Or are you you hearing the same things that we're hearing through the media? So that that's a really good question, and we we discuss it actually daily. It is it is part of the treatment regimen available, including some other medications. Um, but what's important to know and First of all, Rio, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you recovered and you're, you're doing well. Um, Thank you. you know, I'm, I'm, that, that's great. And I think that's very positive to send to the community that we can get through this. Um, but what else is really important to know is, although Rio wasn't able to be tested for five days, we aren't testing routinely. And that's not because we no. don't want to. It's because we don't have the ability to. And so I would love to be able to test everybody who walks through the door, whether they have sniffles, abdominal pain, and we will never miss a coronavirus patient. The problem is, is lack of ability of testing. And that's because there just isn't the test kits available. And so what we've had to do is figure out who are the patients that truly need to be tested and not because it's for informative purposes, it's for treatment purposes. And so if we think you're otherwise healthy and you might have coronavirus, we're going to send you home without the test and just say, you're probably going to do better. If you don't get better, come on back and we'll have to reevaluate you and then determine management at that point. Um, so right now we are doing a uh, risk stratification um, and sort of a, a triage of patients. No, I, know for, yeah, I have a very close friend who has been sick for the last seven days and she presented with every single symptom, including the loss of smell and taste and everything. Mm -hmm. The only thing she did not have was a fever mm -hmm. and her doctor had to petition to get her tested. She was turned down. She, the doctor petitioned again turned down again and she had every symptom right. except for the fever and basically she was told unless you have the fever you do not get tested so so that i'm, I'm glad you mentioned that i'll tell you right now she has covid virus well yes we've she's figured that out but it was very distressing but she doesn't need the that test she could not get tested she no doesn't need a test i'll tell you right so now obvious it's obvious so why get the test if even if the test is negative what does that mean she still has it the test isn't always right. And so with a person that's clearly got coronavirus, why do we need to test them? It's a waste of a test that we can use on somebody that's a little bit atypical. And so the people that lose their taste, have coughing, et cetera, they've got it. We don't need to confirm it. And number one, there's no real treatment for it unless you're truly ill like Rio was. And so go home, drink fluids, take acetaminophen and get over it. You don't need to be tested. Only if you're being hospitalized or even immunocompromised person that you're taking care of, very select group because otherwise it's just all right you're confirmed or if it's negative you're reassured and then you go out in the community and you're not isolating it's better to assume that you have it which she probably does if she hasn't already been tested and treat it as if you have it be careful stay away from people right and that, that's what she has done and she sure. after six days started to feel a little bit better and beautiful yeah she's now on day eight and feels you know, no longer does she feel subhuman. She Good. almost feels like an actual human again. And that's where we see it. So your friend is following the exact pattern of around day seven, day eight is when you're going to peak with the virus mm -hmm. and, and then you're going to start to recover. We've been hearing stories, at least here in my neighborhood, of people having it 15, 16 days. Is that accurate or are those the anomaly? Those are the anomalies. It can, you can certainly have some residual symptoms, but if the fever should break by the eighth or ninth day. You can have some residual post-nasal drip, et cetera. Um, but those are the anomalies, certainly. What else can you tell us, Eric? How else can we help our local hospitals and our, our 
first responders and all the workers who are doing so much and giving so much. What's what else can we do? I, I'm I'm glad you asked that. I you know my um, my kids' school asked how they could help, and I said, look, send cards. Just say that the community supports your your hospitals. They want to know they're not there alone, and that while everybody's home with their families and staying safe, and they're leaving their families at four in the morning to come to the hospital care for others, that they aren't alone in this. And just showing signs of support, even sending packaged food. Um, that kind of stuff just really it motivates them and gives them morale because what we don't want is a low morale just like in the military then people start to leave and you can't have that I need my staff to be strong and come to work ready to work um, with a high morale and and we'll get through this well everyone thank you so much Eric Dr. Eric thank you thank you thank you Rio so happy you were able to be here to do our podcast and Lynn who I absolutely love and adore and have the uh, great pleasure of working with at Dee Hirsch. Can you give out the numbers one more time? Yeah, absolutely. For people who need help. Absolutely. So the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. And the National Disaster Distress Helpline is 1-800-985-5990. Five nine nine zero. They're also there twenty four seven. So please call and reach out if you need help. And we will be posting the numbers on my website, on my Instagram, on my Twitter, and everything. Everyone, stay healthy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Take care, everyone.